Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. This show is devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner, Ravinder, awaits you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We do have a great chat room with some wonderful people that join us. So, Ravinder, tell us all about it, please. Yes, we do have a great chat room. We have people in the chat room who have been with us from pretty much the start of the show. And then we have people that just pop by to say hello. Whichever category you're in, I would love to talk to you. So come into provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. All right. In this week's spotlight, I wish to draw your attention to some of the games played to win our hearts and minds. Just a few days ago, Ravinder and I saw Donald Trump appear on television at a rally. Open collar, no tie, red baseball cap, and the American flag pin on his lapel. We looked at each other and smiled. Why? Do you know the power of the color red? Did you know that a waitress will get larger tips if she wears red, and this is regardless of the customer's gender? Are you aware that the American flag pin is a prime that is It feeds a particular kind of response, just like a red dress or a bottle of hand sanitizer. For example, if you answer a survey designed to measure your bias on a scale of liberal to conservative, the simple presence of a jar of hand sanitizer will skew your answers toward the conservative. And if you think about this prime, it becomes obvious. Hand sanitizer is a warning, a cautionary foretelling of Danger, germs, disease, watch out. This alone causes us to think of protection, and that leads us toward some conservative values. And what about the open collar? I mean, we never saw Trump in his apprentice show with an open collar, so why now? Do you know what a tie means? Are you aware that primes such as a briefcase have been shown to diminish sharing? Why? Because business primes suggest profit and even selfishness to the average person. Think about that. Do you think that successful business people share less? Take the tie off. Open the collar. Hey, even wear a blue shirt. And now the image is one that suggests blue collar values. Does that matter to most Americans? Think of the Occupy Wall Street movement, and you have your answer. I flesh all of this sort of thing out and how it impinges on our everyday decisions in my book, Gotcha, The Subordination of Free Will. But if you haven't read it yet, to today's point, please be aware of the many ways you are manipulated by all, the numerous tools and techniques that are used against you to silently tweak your subconscious. There is a common saying that freedom is not free. Well, perhaps free will may not be free either. Your thoughts on this one, Ravinder? I've always been fascinated. I mean, that was the story in your book that got me, first of all, the waitress in red. So, yeah, when I saw uh, 
Trump up there. It's like we've always watched him on The Apprentice and he's always, you know, got his tie and he always looks very official and now he's wearing a red baseball cap. Of all the footage I've seen of Trump, I've never seen him wearing a baseball cap and now he's wearing it all the time and he's got the little American flag because that's the other prime as well. That's, you know, the patriotic. Uh, he's got his collar open so that's the sign of, you know, being young and hip and as with all of these... Um, rallies and presentations you know they always have loud music in the back loud upbeat music and the majority of the people running for office are not young hip people you know chances are they much prefer the quieter gentler music but they won't do that during a rally they're going to make sure they hit every single prime going well you know i find it also very interesting that it was the evangelical blue collar yeah voters that Trump really cornered. Um, and, you know, of the evangelical vote, that was his. So, you know, you can call that coincidence. Or you can look at the prime and say one follows another. That's how it is. All right. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. This is our first show on our new home network, and we're very pleased to be here. And we're excited about our new producer, Eric Ryder. Um, and we want to we want to express our gratitude to everyone at this network, the station, its producers, for you know just the absolute wonderful rollout they they have given us, and and uh, and, and we're just really thrilled to to join the the team. So to that. Erica wrote, I can't wait to join you on the new network. I love your shows. Parker wrote, your show is one I must catch every week. Thank you for your provocative, enlightening inquiries. Elena wrote, congratulations on your move. Your shows are the best. Keep on digging into the stuff that really matters with your brilliant approach to separating the nonsense from the real. Martha wrote, I just want to thank you for your free MP3 programs they have been a real help to me, and it's comforting to know that some people still care about those of us who need help. All right. If you're a new listener or a regular listener, all of you out there, we do offer a few InterTalk programs at no cost whatsoever, including what used to be our number one seller. And I say used to be because we are now giving it away free. And that's our Forgiving and Letting Go program. You can download them easily by simply going to InnerTalk, one word, I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K dot com, and choose free MP3s from the left-hand navigation pane. All right, Avita wrote, Gotcha, The Subordination of Free Will by Dr. Eldon Taylor. It won't leave you feeling warm and fuzzy, but it will help jolt you awake so that you take back your mind and your life. It may not be convenient or pleasant to hear or to know, but the reality is that today, more so than ever, there is mass manipulation taking place on all levels of our politics, media, economy, food, and health industry. And until you realize how easy it is for your mind to be manipulated, you remain the puppet of someone else's game. What do you think, Ravinder? Do you remain a puppet unless you become aware? I think becoming aware is the only way out of it. It's not. Yeah, it's a process. It's a process. There's nothing simple about it. That's something you and I were talking about just over lunch, lunch today, today. And That's it doesn't right. matter how much, you know, I can, I can see the strings these days. I can see the strings a whole lot more. And because I'm looking for them, then I find more. And it's, 
Yeah, it's hard to find yourself, but I'm working at it. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but I do invite you to opine by sending your comments to Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at eldentaylor.com, or by joining me on Facebook. And I want to thank all of you for your letters and comments. We truly appreciate your feedback and support. Now to this week's show, Paranormal Realities, Thinking Aloud, with our special guest, Dr. Jeffrey Mishlow. So let me tell you a little about today's guest. Jeffrey Mishlow, Ph.D., is author of The Roots of Consciousness, Site Development Systems, and The PK Man. He is the recipient of the only doctoral diploma in parapsychology ever awarded by a fully accredited university, and he received his from the University of California, Berkeley. Between 1986 and 2002, he hosted and co-produced the original Thinking Aloud public television series. He serves as Dean of Transformational Psychology at the University of Philosophical Research. He is also past president of the nonprofit Intuition Network, an organization dedicated to creating a world in which all people are encouraged to cultivate and apply their inner intuitive abilities. So on that, let's get him in. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Dr. Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello, good to be here. That's indeed my pleasure. You know, I have to tell you, I have sitting here on the production table a copy of Roots of Consciousness. Now, my copy is so hammered that you, you've got to be very careful how you handle it because pages are no longer really attached to the spine. Uh, in fact, I, I taught several classes back in 1986 where your book was the textbook. It, it is a very daring work for its time, and it continues to be, in my view, uh, the extant work uh, that, for you know, the, the extant scholarly work on paranormal. So, with that said, this is an old volume. This is first edition. Have you had a need to update the book? Uh, there have been three editions. Uh, so you you have the original, which is still a favorite of mine. But uh, back in I think eighty seven, the second edition came out, and and the third edition was a, a few years after that. Did you make changes in it? I mean, should yes, I go get those I would editions? Say about about a third of the book uh, got updated over, over time. It did. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to have to go buy a clean new copy, I guess, because I know it is still available at Amazon, Barnes, and other places. Let's, uh, you know, let me ask you this. How does it feel to be the only person ever to earn a doctoral degree in parapsychology from a fully accredited institution? Of all institutions, Berkeley, which is, it depends on when you look and where you look, but it's number two, number three in the world of all institutions, academic institutions. How does that feel? Well, uh, let me say two things. First of all, it feels very lonely. <laughs> and, and so I hope more and more people will do degrees in parapsychology. But I also need to point out that there's a fine point related to this distinction. My doctoral diploma says parapsychology, and that is unique. But there are probably about 200 other people who did doctoral dissertations on parapsychological topics 
in the world, and they have doctoral diplomas that say other things besides parapsychology. So I tried to define the field in a very unique way to include thousands of years of history of exploration into psychic phenomena, uh, rather than just to have it be grounded in 20th century or 21st century experimental psychology. Right. But you did both. Uh, A lot of your work uh, dealt with things like uh, Curlian cameras and the photography of auras. And at that time, that was really, you know, revolutionary. In fact, a friend of mine, uh, Carl Schleicher, was with Mankind Research. He brought the Curlian camera back to the United States in negotiations Mm -hmm. with Russia about the patent treaties. And so, you know, your work coming along at that time in, in a lot of these areas was not just looking at historical evidence, but also cutting edge. Well, I've tried to uh, sort of stay on top of the uh, current uh, movements and and at the same time stay grounded in traditions that, that go back thousands of years. Well, and I think the best part is it is very scholarly, and we'll get into that, but you know, most of these other writers who have done work on... It, uh, by way of parapsychology, they're going to be historians or social scientists. You, your undergrad, your master's degree is in criminology. How how did you make the bridge from criminology to parapsychology? Well, actually, um, I've always had an interest in human deviance, and at one point in my life, I decided I wanted to switch from the negative aspects of human deviance to the positive, and. I really struggled uh, to find a way to do that. I agonized over it for many months when I was in uh, my early 20s and was a graduate student at Berkeley. And I was actually, in effect, guided by dreams to uh, make the change because there weren't any easy options uh, at the University of California. You could study all the negative aspects of human behavior you wanted, but uh, there really weren't any programs uh, to look at the positive side of human nature. When you were at Berkeley, there was a large movement, the Skinnerian behaviorism movement. Um, were you, where were you with regard to uh, human condition uh, in terms of just a, a meat machine through the evolution process, and were you at all predisposed by your upbringing to reject that? Well, you know, I really began my inquiries as an undergraduate at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, and it, it had a very strong behaviorist uh, bent then, mm-hmm. as, as most American colleges did, especially in the Midwest. Uh, but I did a senior honors thesis on the psychology of religious mysticism, and I began as a skeptic. I figured, you know, why is it, given this rational world that uh, I believed in, that people were reporting things like sightings of ghosts and mystical experiences? And as I began to look into it, I uh, discovered that uh, these mystics were onto something, that uh, they were actually ahead of the game, and the so-called modernists and, and rationalists were more like the second-string team, so to speak. <laughs> so by the time I arrived in Berkeley, I was already uh, 
I had more or less rejected uh, the the so-called modern movements in, in psychology. I thought, you know, they prided themselves on being 10 years ahead of the times, as I recall. And, and my attitude is that 10 years ahead of the times, back in, let's say, 1970, was not nearly far ahead enough. Amen. Actually, perhaps it was a little bit behind. Yeah. <laughs> but. But let me ask you this, then. Did you come from a religious environment? Were you raised religious? Did that predispose you at all? I mean, I heard you say that you approached it skeptically, but often that happens because we're raised religiously and then we reject it, and we reject it because we're disappointed or there's some authoritarian confrontation, etc. and so forth. Uh, were you raised religiously? Oh, yes. I, I was born into a Jewish family and was bar mitzvahed and had a, had a Jewish upbringing. But I think it's fair to say by the time I had graduated from high school, I had uh, pretty much rejected uh, organized religion. Okay, now I've got to ask you this, because most Jewish people, and not all, but most Jewish people do not believe in an afterlife. But your work uh, clearly suggests that there is an afterlife. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, in, in the United States, Jews have tried very hard to blend in and to assimilate. And so, as a consequence, many American Jews, especially growing up in the 1950s and 60s, as I did, uh, were unaware of the very strong mystical traditions within Judaism. Mm-hmm. But they came alive for me back in 1972 when I had a powerful dream. I had a great uncle who was a pious Jewish man, and um, when he died, he appeared to me in a dream, and it was such a powerful dream that I awoke and I was singing and crying at the same time, and I wrote home to my parents and asked them, how's Uncle Harry? And my mother called me immediately and said, how did you know Uncle Harry had just died? Uh, So I asked for a book uh, of his or some object of his to remember him by, and I was sent a book, and I was told it was Uncle Harry's favorite book. And it was only then that I learned that he had secretly been uh, a follower of the Jewish mystical Hasidic tradition. But uh, back when I was a child, people like Uncle Harry kept that well hidden. Interesting. So did you follow suit at any point, study the Kabbalah, become involved in the Masonic Order, etc.? Well, I, I think it's fair to say, Eldon, that uh, once I realized that modern rationalism was uh, not the answer to the the big question of, you know, what is reality. I delved into every form of mysticism, occultism, humanistic psychology, transpersonal psychology, the human potential movement uh, that I could imagine. I I just uh, tried to uh, sort of dip my fingers into every pie. Uh, As a consequence, I've I've become very eclectic, and I've never been a joiner, so I can't say now I'm 69 years old, and I've I've never spent a great deal of time in any one tradition, but I've been exposed probably to maybe a thousand different paths. Great. I love it. And and, and that comes through 
uh, in your book, Roots of Consciousness, as well. So, But let me ask you this. There are all sorts of phenomena that falls under the umbrella or so-called umbrella of parapsychology, mm-hmm. including today the subject of UFOs. Yes. Do you think UFOs belong in the same general category as telekinesis, clairvoyance, precognition, telepathy, and the like? Well, I, I do. Most parapsychologists uh, would disagree with that, I, I suppose, but... Uh, the truth is, I conducted a 10-year investigation of a man who claimed to be in telepathic contact with UFOs, and he did many, many demonstrations to uh, prove to the world at large that he really had this ability, although I was never clear whether it was telepathy or precognition uh, or psychokinesis, but I, uh, he had a reputation for being able to cause UFO sightings. And I asked him to do that for me when I was a graduate student at Berkeley, and he said he would produce a UFO sighting that would be uh, witnessed by hundreds of people. He said it'll be photographed, and the photograph will appear on the front page of one of the local newspapers in the San Francisco Bay Area. And by gosh, that is exactly what happened. In fact, it was even videotaped, and the videotape was broadcast on Channel 9 TV in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the story of Ted Owens, right? The story yes. you tell in your book, The PK Man? That is correct. Yeah, it's a great book. It is a wonderful read. Everybody should read this one. It, that has to be one of the most impressive examples or, or pieces of evidence to you that there is some something to paranormal uh, ability true or false yes i i have way way past the stage of of debating whether or not paranormal phenomena are real i've i've witnessed too many things hundreds and hundreds of examples so uh you could call me a true believer but i'd rather think of myself as an empiricist who who has observed this Right. Okay. We've got a break coming up. In this next half hour, I want to get into some of the specific um, instances, the type of research you've done, the kinds of findings that you've had in some of these different areas and so forth. We're speaking with Dr. Jeffrey Mishlove about his life, work, research, and books, The Roots of Consciousness and The PK Man. And you've heard me... uh, throw accolades at these books i cannot give them i cannot recommend them any more than to say you need to read them to learn more about dr mishla visit his website at new thinking aloud one word new thinking aloud.com okay remember to join Ravinder in the chat room you can do that by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat do stay tuned we'll be right back you're listening to provocative enlightenment with elton taylor Gotcha! The explosive new book by New York Times bestselling author Eldon Taylor explores the 24-7 bombardment of information designed to win the hearts and minds of the public. He demonstrates how new sound bites are championed into personal awareness, becoming memes of the culture. Your very decision process is being managed and manipulated, and the quest for discovering your real self becomes exponentially more difficult, if not impossible, as a result. Order now. EldonTaylor.com slash gotcha. Hi, I'm Eldon Taylor, and you're listening to Provocative Enlightenment Radio. I'm so glad you could join me 
as we tackle those tough questions in search of the answers that really matter. But remember, this is a journey we are undertaking together, so I would love to hear your thoughts as well. Please send your comments to Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at eldontaylor.com. You can also join in the conversation by joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor, that's D-R-E-L-D-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R. Now, back to the show. And welcome back. If you've just joined us, we're chatting with Dr. Jeffrey Mishlove about his life, work, research, and books, The Roots of Consciousness and the PK Man. Now, we ask our guests for their favorite music, music that has some genuine significance to them. Music psychology is a new field of research with practical relevance in many areas, including investigations of human aptitude, skill, intelligence, creativity, personality, and social behavior. All right, Dr. Mishlove, we just played some of A Sky Full of Stars by Coldplay. Please tell us, why is this music important to you, and how does it instruct us about who you are? Uh, good question. Uh, the, to me, the music uh, suggests the uh, enormous potential of, of everybody. Uh, we are all so much larger than we normally give ourselves credit for, or, or that our society, our families and institutions uh, normally acknowledge. And uh, I think part of my work has, has been to help show people that they have this inner potential. When we talk about the world's great mystics and spiritual teachers and uh, creative people and, and psychics, uh, my research has, has shown that this potential exists in everybody. All right, I'll take that. Let me ask you this. I want to pick this up from before the break. when We were talking about UFOs. You know, Paul Hellyer, uh, who's the former defense minister of Canada, has been very public in saying they're real. They're, we, they're visiting, and uh, the government has this information. Do you think our government knows more about UFOs than they admit? And if so, is there still something like Project Blue Book going on at some secret level? Well, of course, if if there were, I wouldn't know about it. But I, I can say this. I certainly agree that UFOs are real, that they've been around for a long time. Uh, I don't know what they are. I can't say that they are uh, vehicles from other planets. I'm, if 
fact, I'm very inclined to think that they might be projections, psychokinetic projections from our own minds. The, I was going to ask you that. Yeah, we are the on. aliens, uh-huh. <laughs> in effect, that they represent uh, the powers of, of living human beings to create uh, lights in the sky. Um, but as to does the government, is the government uh, keeping something a secret? My best guess honestly is no. I don't think the government has a clue. Okay. You, now, your definition, the psychokinetic projections, that fits perfectly in explanation for the PK man, don't you think? Yes, indeed. And he claimed to have psychokinetic abilities and, and demonstrated them on numerous occasions. So uh, I think it's fair to say at least some UFOs meet that description. That That's very interesting because from that definition, it's easy to see how or why you would incorporate UFOs into the field of parapheromena or parapsychology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Let me ask you this. While we're on government, we've hosted Major Ed Dames a couple of times, and I've spoken with the lady in Goswan. Do you believe that we still have uh, government-sponsored remote viewing projects going on somewhere in secret? And do you think, if so, they're productive? Well, uh, the government last time they had a uh, the, the Stargate program, the government proved that uh, even though the program went on successfully for 20 years, eventually the government couldn't manage it. It, it got, to the best of my knowledge, it was mismanaged and then shut down. Right. But uh, I would say it this point in time, given the threats that we're facing uh, around the world, there there are undoubtedly many people in government who are aware of the history of the remote viewing project and are thinking to themselves, we could use something like that right now. Uh, and I'm sure that's happening in many, many different con- countries. But uh, to the best of my knowledge, these are individuals who are working uh, privately because of their own personal interest. And I have no reason to think that there's any sort of a dark program or official sponsorship of of any sort. Uh, But if there were, how would I know? Okay, well... Two Given follow-ups the controversy, to that. I think uh, it would be very important for the government, if they were to engage in such a project, to keep it secret. Because having you know a lot of people in the public saying this is the work of the devil or this is the rising tide of superstition is only going to uh, cloud matters and make it harder for such a program to operate successfully. True, true, but you and I both know keeping those kinds of things secret is something that just really doesn't happen. SRA wasn't secret, uh, secret, secret. So even no, though it was no, supposed it was pretty much secret. an open secret the whole time. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I think it's fair. You know, my best guess is that there's a lot of interest uh, from individuals and not from organizations. Okay, and I, this question is, is theoretical. It's based on. A story I heard that I have not been able to verify, but from a source that I typically give some credibility to. So, you know what remote viewing is. We've just discussed that. And uh, now I'm told that there are those who remote view future events based on uh, projected actions. So, in other words, let's take this as a hypothetical 
assume that Putin decides that he wants to make some aggressive action. He may have his viewers look at what happens if he does take that action. What, what are the consequences? And then make his decision accordingly. Is there any grit to this kind of story? Well, that would be uh, the sort of thing that uh, falls under the category of intuition. And uh, people who are gifted uh, intuitively and creatively look at scenarios like that. Uh, it doesn't require paranormal abilities necessarily, uh, just a good creative mind to think through these issues. Uh, it's a shame we didn't do more of that before the uh, last uh, Gulf War. But no uh, in any case, uh, there are people who are attempting to apply precognition to real-world problems, particularly uh, gambling or speculating on uh, sports events and uh, in the stock market. There's very active organization uh, uh, doing that right now. Mm -hmm. Okay, <clears throat> let's, you know, of course, I was combining both the precognitive aspect and the remote viewing, but let's yeah. just take... Let's take some of the, you know, Ed Dames. He says we have, uh, you know, the big burn coming. <clears throat> uh, the earth's going to be fried, and, you know, if you pay him enough money, he'll tell you where you can put a safe shelter. But he's been, he's been forecasting this for, I mean, pretty consistently now for about three years. Well, let me I... just say this. I don't know Ed Dames. I don't think I've ever met him, but I, okay. I don't place a very high reliability on people who say, if you pay me a, a large sum of money, you're going to get X, Y, and Z from Good. me. When that happens in the parapsychology arena, uh, I would think people are well advised to stay away from it. I know a lot of people who do good work in the field of remote viewing, uh, in uh, looking at future forecasting or working with police, and typically they don't charge at all. They do it as a public service. Right, right. Okay. I totally concur with that. And as a former criminalist who has used psychics on cases, uh, I've never had to pay one. But well, that's my... something you and I share in common. Both, <laughs> Good. Both never having had to pay and having an interest in criminology. Uh, well, I, I, yeah, we, we could talk about that one. Um, I, 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 criminalistics uh, differs from criminology, as you know, mm -hmm. by way of theory versus practice. That's right. Uh, but I, but I gather that you must have done some practice as well, then. Well, not so much criminalistics, but I did do uh, field work at San Quentin Prison uh, during okay, my well. <laughs> criminology years. Yeah. All right. Well, that's field work. That's close enough. All right. Where I was going with the Ed Dames question is not about his credibility per se, although yeah. he did uh, head up Ingo Swan's team for some time. Uh, but it was to this idea that do you think remote viewers have the ability to look forward into the future and, uh, and, and, and come back with precognitive uh, insights? I, I think it's true, but uh, but we also have to appreciate that uh, the very best remote viewers, in my estimation, are like the very best baseball players. Take Babe Ruth, 
who was one of the greatest home run hitters of all time. Uh, but he struck out more often than he hit home runs. And uh, so uh, one has to be very careful and, and very suspicious of people who talk about 100% accuracy. The, the best remote viewers that I know of are can be 100% accurate, but usually no more than 10% of the time. Yeah, okay, that, that's, that's good. All right. Your work explores various targets of what we could say uh, brings a lot of skepticism. Indeed, skeptics attack this sort of thing as totally unscientific gobbledygook. Mm-hmm. So, two-part question. First, how do these attacks affect you personally? I know a lot of people involved in pioneering work that come under the, you know, the disdain of some of their peers, and it does have its emotional toll. And the second part is, how do you answer them? Well, uh, great question. Uh, It does have an emotional toll, I'll admit it, but... Frankly, uh, I've learned to take it in stride. After all, any controversial field is going to attract uh, that sort of thing. It could be, uh, you know, the gay rights movement or the civil rights movement or uh, the struggle for women to uh, to achieve the vote. There has always been uh, irrational opposition to, to these sorts of things, and uh, it doesn't to help anybody uh, who's working in parapsychology to get too upset or caught up by it. But usually the people I talk to who try to deny that there's anything valid going on are complete ignoramuses. They haven't looked at it at all. They're just repeating what they believe is the conventional mainstream scientific opinion that uh, there's nothing to all this. And of course, organized skeptics try to drum up that belief amongst eager young followers because, you know, they are concerned with abuses that take place in in the psychic realm. And usually what I do to combat that sort of thing is is to point people to um, an article, uh, an interview I conducted years ago with one of the most famous skeptics, Ray Hyman. He published Mm -hmm. it in his own book, The Elusive Quarry, and it was also published in the Skeptical Inquirer magazine of skeptics, in which uh, Ray Hyman attended the uh, convention of the Parapsychological Association. I interviewed him, and he said, coming here as a skeptic, my overwhelming impression is of the high quality of the research being presented and the thoughtfulness of the researchers themselves. And when, when these young, eager debunkers hear that coming from one of the most prominent skeptics, that usually shuts them up for a while. Yeah, Ray Hyman, University of Oregon, I believe. Yeah, uh, yeah he's now retired. Yeah. And okay. he, he remained a skeptic all of his life. and He did. That's fine. You know, people can be skeptical if, if they wish, but at least he had the honesty and integrity to admit that uh, most of the simple-minded criticisms used by skeptics were simply invalid and ignorant. Simple-minded is a good word. I think one of your best defenses I heard, however, and that's how you just framed the comparison between your work, parapsychology, and, of course, <clears throat> rights, rights issues, rights of women, rights of gays. <laughs> nice psychological job there. I've enjoyed many of your interviews, Dr. Mishlove. 
Uh, indeed, I, uh, I used to catch your Thinking Aloud program on PBS as often as I could. My question, did you, well, wait a minute. You did an in-depth interview with Dr. Steven Pinker where you discussed the nature of language and thought. That's now, many correct. mediums and other gifted psychics inform us that they do not get their information in words. It's more a matter of impressions. In your view, especially following your discussions with Pinker, do you think in words, do we initially perceive in words or images or impressions or what? And how do you see this fitting in with the, the field of paranormal research? Oh, you are asking a very profound question. It's it's not one that can be answered simply or easily, but I think it's fair to say that uh, as young infants, we have thoughts before we even learn how to speak. And and so nonverbal forms of communication are always with us and are very powerful. And uh, even today, people will tell you that the nonverbal messages we send through our gestures and facial expressions are much more powerful than the words we use. So uh, uh, there's a lot to be said for that. Even the very word telepathy means the transmission of pathos or emotion uh, rather than, you know, specific words and ideas. And remote viewers today will tell you that... uh, it's easier to get shapes and forms and colors rather than words and numbers. Do you think if we were to spend more time, um, well, let me rephrase this. Let me back up a little. You know, yeah. one of the popular things, the popular areas for beginning to develop uh, your intuitions and your own parapsychological abilities and so on and so forth is to listen to your own dreams and to journal your dreams and dream interpretation, da-da-da-da-da. I know you know all about that and much more. Do you think if we were to begin to take these images that we get, shapes, colors, etc., and... Journal those, begin to pay attention to them, that we could find some Rosetta Stone, some translation unit uh, that might further facilitate not just our understanding of ourselves, but the world that we live in? Uh, No doubt. I I think uh, we might find there's a lot of individual variation, but I know uh, this is a big interest of yours when you talk about the subtle ways in which advertisers and other people uh, have learned how to manipulate our minds. Uh, They're already working in this area. So uh, there's probably um, Eric Fromm, the great uh, psychoanalyst, called it the forgotten language, the language of dreams. Uh, there is, you know, uh, a lot of knowledge to be had in, in that realm. And we get more and more of it with a lot of the commercial uses of fMRI today and some of the other means of measurement. Where, where do you think this is all going? Do you, do you think we're going to, at some point in time, maybe because of our Google glasses and our, you know, our, our Mac watches or whatever else, do you think we're either going to, step away from advancing our intelligence or that we're going to actually, as some say, gain, you know, these extra abilities? 
uh, I'm very interested in the future evolution of humanity, and it seems to be going in two directions simultaneously. One, as you pointed out, is more and more high-tech, uh, even to the point where there are huge movements of people looking at uh, uh, robotics and how humans will eventually have, you know, robotic parts. We'll just fuse them right into the body and implant uh, computer chips into our brains and uh, things of that sort. But at the same time, I think we are evolving spiritually and psychically, and that uh, the abilities that in past eras were associated with the great yogis and spiritual teachers will become more and more common in, in the population. I think, actually, you know, from what I gather, that's already happening. There are huge movements of people who for example, call themselves the indigo children and, and, and mm -hmm. so on, who, who are observing this already. You, you do see then an acceleration, not just in the I want to be's, but in the actual manifestations. I mean, when I read uh, mystical masters, uh, kinds of works I read about levitations, I read about, uh, you know, breathers who... Uh, do not eat what are breatharians, I believe they're called. Mm, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, they're <clears throat> the walk on water, the division of uh, bread and, and fish. Uh, you know, it, I, I read all these things from all these different cultures, Christian, Judea, Judaism, uh, from the Upanishads uh, uh, to the Quran. I, I don't see that actually happening today. Instead, I see... Uh, what I see is a wannabe attitude. Uh, you, you know, I'm going to claim this, and maybe if I claim it, it will become mine. Almost a, uh, an approach that we could say is the same approach the secret offers to uh, to prosperity. You know, the visualizations and uh, and the the dream boards and so forth. Correct me. Tell me I'm wrong. Well, I, I think all of this is happening. There, of course, there are many wannabes, but in my 10-year study of Ted Owens, he claimed to be the first person since Moses to have the kind of powers he had, and I collected uh, evidence, empirical evidence, of over 150 demonstrations that uh, he offered, and I would say two-thirds of them showed that he was uh, able to uh, do the things that he claimed that he could do, and they were very rare and unusual things. Control of large-scale weather systems, tornadoes, hurricanes, volcanoes even, uh, and UFO sightings. So, uh, the PK man. Yes. Again, you're talking about the PK man. I've got to I tell every, our listeners, you know, this is an adventuresome kind of read, and if it were fiction, it would be gripping. But the fact that it's not fiction is really... Um, that really makes it a special book. Why? Well, I've got to ask you, uh, Dr. Mishlev, why did uh, Owens call you in the first place? Well, I um, ran into him in uh, London. I was attending a conference in, in London, and he was there and trying to... It was a scientific conference he had been invited to attend because he had a reputation for ending droughts, a well-deserved reputation, and there was a drought going on in London. And the day he arrived in London, uh, I was there. My guest said, if you want to be on the front page of the London Times, just walk down Piccadilly Circus carrying an umbrella. 
because they hadn't had any rain for many, many weeks and even months. And uh, the next day it started raining and pouring. There were power blackouts. <laughs> there was lightning all over the place, uh, uh, even UFO sightings, which was Owen's signature. And that was the day he arrived in, in London. But uh, people laughed him off the stage because he, he seemed so preposterous. And even today, people think, uh, people, the critics, the skeptics and debunkers don't even bother to review my book because nobody would believe it anyway. Even the parapsychologists have a hard time. It's so bizarre that there's no need to bother to critique it. At least that's the way they feel. Who would believe, you know, some guy has telepathic contact with UFOs and he can prove it and he can control the weather. These things are so unbelievable. But And people were laughing him off the stage, but I got up and spoke in his behalf because I was aware of that he had earlier done a similar demonstration and ended a drought in California. Uh, for Put-Off and Targ, the researchers at SRI International, they were doing work with Uri Geller at the time, and he wrote to them and said, you shouldn't be wasting your time with this Israeli psychic. I'm the world's greatest psychic. And he said, just to prove it to you, I'm going to end the drought in California, and, and you'll know because there will be rain and sleet and snow and hail, and your local newspaper will publish a story saying that the drought is ended, and there will be UFO sightings at the same time. And all of this happened within a few days. Put off and Targ wrote back to Ted Owens and said that was a very good prediction. And he wrote back to them basically saying, hell no, it was no prediction. I caused it. And at that point, uh, I was meeting with them. I was in their office when all of this happened. And they were getting funded by the CIA to do this research. And, and the last thing they wanted was... Uh, someone like Ted Owens, whom they rightfully regarded as a loose cannon. So they handed me all of his files and said, Jeffrey, why don't you study him? And, um, so what a I great opportunity. I have to ask you this one quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, not since Moses. Did he see himself as talking to God or something? Yes, he did. He even founded a uh, church and... Uh, he definitely felt that his abilities were coming from a higher godlike power. All right, I'm going to stop you there because I want you to tell our readers where they can learn more about you and get your books. Okay, uh, my website is New Thinking Aloud, which is spelled A L L O W E D. That's all one word, newthinkingaloud.com. It's a great site. You want to be sure and go there. The books are available everywhere, are they not, Dr. Mishler? Uh, well, actually, mostly out of print. One of the books is on the web. The Roots of Consciousness is, is the whole book. I've just posted it on the web for people for free. And the New Thinking Aloud website has 70 different video interviews that I've done all this year. Well, I should all say, right. no, well, you've got it. In the last Everybody out there, go to that website. If you can get the new book free, there's no reason not to. And you're going to want to read the PK, man, and I know it's available at Amazon. So go to Amazon. I want to thank you, Dr. Mishlove, for your willingness to share your work with us. We've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you out there for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show and will join us again next week. Until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember... Believing in yourself always matters. 
Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.